I think there's an appreciation for music. You need to understand all styles, especially nowadays, because there's a lot of influence from all different styles in the music that's created. I mean, I suppose it's the same as beer. Like it, you, it's a situational thing is what kind of beer you like at what time and what style it is, it, depending on what's going on in the world or your life or anything like that. Completely, completely, yeah. And the, the cool thing about music, and I may, beer will probably, get, it's getting there for me, but music will put me in a moment in time when I hear this song from other radio. Welcome to the Craft Beer Travel and Adventure Podcast with Living a Stout Life. This is where we sit down with creative thinkers, on-the-road adventurers, and craft beer lovers. Your hosts, Ken and April, live, work, and travel in a 24-foot RV in search of inspiring stories around a great beer. Hey, we have an announcement. What? We have a big announcement. Beer Now is back, baby. Beer Now? Yeah. And, I want okay. Beer Now. All right, so what is Beer Now? Beer Now. Beer Now is a beer, basically a beer media conference. It's... um. Specifically, it was initially targeted towards bloggers and writers and podcasters and stuff. But we've—it's also a pretty good conference, I think, for uh, like brewery marketers and even beer enthusiasts. People yeah. who just love like to deep dive into beer. So, if you really just actually love beer and want to learn more about how to drink it, taste it, also talk about write it. about it, talk about it, all of that stuff. You should come to this conference. It's great. So what's really cool, too, is what our big announcement is, is yes, it's a conference. But what our really big announcement is, is we at Living a Stout Life, you know us, me and Kenny, have teamed up with the conference company that has put this on in the past few years. So this will be the 12th year? I think this is the 13th 13th? conference. Yeah, it's kind of funky year-wise because of all the COVID-ness. Yeah. Like put the schedule into disarray for a couple of years but so beer now has been going on for quite a while but what's really cool is we teamed up with the conference to help mm-hmm. promote it to help put it together um to get attendance to also put together the speakers and the presenters so mm-hmm. here's the deal first you need to go to beernow.org b-e-e-r-n-o-w dot o-r-g um if you want more information, but just go there and sign up because the best pricing options um, are now through the end of April. Also, you can also look this up too. If you are a beer blogger, podcaster, whatever, you can get, like, we love you also. You can get like serious discounts. So you have to look yeah. that up to find that out. But yeah, this is a really good conference, I think, for like we talked about everybody from actual media to marketers to people who are just really crazy about beer. Because it is a couple days of very poignant, uh, like presentations and learning and speakers, sessions and stuff. Panels, but there's also a lot of tasting sessions and pre and post conference, and even the evenings after the con- after the day is kind of winding down. There's a lot of fun exploring the breweries in the area and the different beer scene, and we'll probably be doing some different kinds of tours and tastings at different breweries and stuff like that. Yeah, so, so we're super stoked to be teaming up with BeerNow.org. Beer now. I just wanted to say the website again so you guys go there and like register <laughs> because it's really cool and we want to see you all there. Oh, that's where I was also going too. Is like if you want to be a presenter or a speaker or you're curious about that, you can also reach out to us too because we're in charge of that. Watch out. When is it though and where is it? That's very important. So Beer Now this year is going to be in Asheville, North Carolina, which is just going beer crazy. Like in the last couple of years, they've doubled the amount of breweries in that area. And North Carolina as a state has like tripled their breweries in the last few years. So it's a beer mecca in the United States. But it is Asheville, North Carolina, and it's going to be August 18th through the 21st. Beautiful beer, beautiful place, beautiful people. Yeah, beernow.org. So on that same note, yes, we are hosting another conference (laughs) in the same area, but it's kind of geared towards another, a different type of audience. So that, you guys all know this, Camp Carpe Diem, come on. That's in Brevard, which is right around Asheville, but that's October, damn it. 20th through the 23rd, my dear. (laughs) C-A-M-P-C-A-R-P-E-D-I-E-M.com. That's Camp Carpe Diem. That's for RVers who want to just really go out and learn how to play and have some fun. Some mountain biking, photography, like hiking, and of course, and beer, beer. of course. Yeah. So there are two separate conferences. You could totally do both. You totally could. Yeah. If you're a beer geek enough, you'd enjoy both of them. But yeah, Camp Carpe Diem is going to be more building your community and 
just having a lot of fun around those last those few days. Yeah. So now that we've taken up your first few minutes of <laughs> airtime as ads, I mean, come on, like, you know, get used to it. We have to advertise things, but we're excited for both of those events and you all should be too. But now that we've taken up your time with ads, we want to kind of start getting into more about what we're really talking about this week. And it's another brewery that we're highlighting for American Craft Beer Week coming up in May. And this one's Microphone Brewing. And we're getting ready to talk to Mike Pallon. He's one of the owners of this really cool brewery, Microphone. I love the name. <laughs> and I don't know if you catch that. Microphone, not microphone. Yeah, microphone. <laughs> and, of course, we seem to have a kind of a running theme these last few podcasts. Maybe eh, Maybe backwards. a little bit, yeah. It's music. Yeah. So Beer and music go together really well. Totally There's a lot of great breweries that have done a fantastic job blending the two yeah. and there a lot of breweries have live music just as part of the the draw to get you in there well and they so... go far beyond live music their whole like mm -hmm. theme is based off of um two passions of mike's so beer obviously it's a brewery mm -hmm. and music hence the name microphone so we'll let him further explain that later yeah Anyhow, we should also tell, we were traveling in the last time we were in the middle, I think we were in Casper, Wyoming, the last podcast you guys listened to, and now we actually made it to Montana. We're sitting again on Flathead. How did you say it, you and your weird we accent? We are back in the Flathead, baby. <laughs> we're back. Back in Montana. Back at we're the Raven. Back at the Raven. Back at the Sitting Duck. Not back, but at the new Sip of Montana beer bar here which is freaking phenomenal they have like killing it with like 20 taps of all montana beer right here right next to us danger zone less, for me <laughs> it's less than a half a mile away like yeah we can walk and or stumble there and back <laughs> it's beautiful Ooh, call out they also said that we could maybe possibly taste some of their beers coming in and we can have a little bit of a say maybe on what they bring in on the taps that's pretty cool well i think they listen to anybody who's a beer aficionado who no, wants I to have an input but no, yeah that's pretty special. cool oh we're special yes okay yes okay we are, we are we're special, special. you're very special that's also why malt europe <laughs> <laughs> i am very special that's also why malt europe teamed up with this on this podcast too they're also helping to present this um microphone brewing interview that we will eventually get to but mm -hmm. i want to give a shout out to them too because you know they're special too they are because they, they're definitely they've been really fun to work with and a different type of special than become I more than just fun to work with they am a type of special a lot of friends there yeah you're very special type of special okay april's kind of squirrely this day today squirrels like music too <laughs> the deer that was out here earlier probably liked music too yes we have we have resident deer in our neighborhood here but do you know who i think would really like music and beer who everybody who's listening to us probably because they're probably going oh my god you guys are off the rails let's just get rolling please so the next thing you should say is Here's Mike from Microphone. Thank you. I got it. Yes. You're so smart. So anyhow, we're teaming up with Malt Europe, and we want to highlight your brewery, Mike. And so we've got Mike Pallon from Microphone Brewing, and you're just outside of Chicago in Elk Grove Village, correct? That is correct. In the verbs, how far is it really from, like, downtown Chicago? It can be anywhere from 14 minutes to an hour and 14 minutes, just depending <laughs> on Chicago. That's how it is. <laughs> that is Chicago, yeah. And we're yeah, we, highlighting... We, Oh, go ahead. Maybe a little bit further than that, but I live in Park Ridge, which is just outside of Chicago. It's literally like a, a street divides where Park Ridge and Chicago are. Okay. And then Elk Grove is just in the backside of O'Hare Airport. So okay. my house is about 10 minutes from the brewery, and then the, the city is our 15 minutes from there. So like I said, if traffic is, like it is back to normal now. Like during the pandemic, it was awesome. You could zoom all across <laughs> Illinois, no problems. Now it's back, so... Definitely a, a log jam getting into the city from here. Yeah, that's a good and a bad thing that the traffic is back at, you know, back out there. Yep. Yeah, life is back finally. So, yeah, it, no, that's, that's good. A good that's, that's a good sign. Yep. Yeah. So, we're here, like, actually talking to you um, for American Craft Beer Week that we want to celebrate you and, like, really get a lot of those breweries out there and highlight them. And so, we're happy to be talking to you. So, on that note, tell us a little bit about Microphone and kind of where you came from and what started it. So uh, Microphone Brewing is craft beer inspired by music. Um, it was founded by me and my wife and it's currently still owned and founded by me and my wife. Um, it was one of those things where I wanted to kind of bring my two passions of life together. So music and beer. 
Um, I grew up in just outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and my dad worked at Miller Brewing in Milwaukee um, and kind of was always around beer, kind of understood the concept of beer. But he was like, don't do any of this. Go and do something, be smart and go to college. So I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison, um, got a degree there. And actually, while I was there, I took a botany class, as a kind of a, a blow off elective. But it had um, a component where you could brew beer in that class. And it just kind of really sparked the interest of what that whole concept was. So being a college kid who was 21 years old, I figured, heck, let's make our own beer. Um, and at that time, it was a Newcastle clone and we had fermented it in the furnace room. So fermentation took off and we made like a 12% version of Newcastle and we all drank it, got drunk off it and had a good time with it. And that was, like I said, it kind of sparked the interest, but the homebrew equipment got tucked away after college. And, you know, I always call it freshman year of life kicked in and kind of had a focus on my professional career. Um, but in 2010, when we finally got a house, I was like, you know what? I need to revive that hobby and see what see where it takes me. So we started brewing. And at that time, too, craft beer was starting to take off in Chicago. So you had people like Pipeworks who were always looking for volunteers to come help brew, come help package, whatever you could do. So I'd go down there and swing by them and help them out and bring some home brews with me. And, you know, one thing led to another where we got the confidence to kind of go at it around. But being my background with uh, music and marketing, I had, a, I had to put a name to the beer. I couldn't just go out there and hand you an amber bottle of beer and be like, enjoy it and not have anything that comes after it. So we came up with the name Microphone Brewing about 12 years ago, um, had the logo done and we kind of, you know, slapped it on glassware. We put it on t-shirts. We were selling all this stuff out of our basement and people thought we were a legit brewery. It's hilarious. But, you know, at that time I knew how to use social media. I knew how to use Blogspot. So we were just, we we're telling our story at that point and, you know, brewing on a, a Sabco system in the basement and making as much beer as we possibly could to kind of hone in what we could. And my wife and I finally got to a point where we're like, you know what, let's go at our own and, and start our own brewery. So it was the um, early start of 2015 when we started Microphone professionally. And we were lucky enough to contract brew out of another brewery called Slapshot Brewing, where they actually hired me as their head brewer. And then in the off hours, I would brew microphone beer. And within the first six months, it was gangbusters. We were selling beer so fast, we couldn't keep up. Um, and then right away, we got the best new beer or best new brewery in Illinois from Rake Beer. And we got one of the best new breweries in the world from Beer Advocate. And that just catapulted us to a new level. What year was that that you got those awards? Uh, it was the, 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 the year of 15, but they were presented to us in 16. So you didn't even have a physical space yet that was your own. No. Yeah, it, just, it was so crazy. So, kind of pseudo gypsy brewing. <laughs> yeah, we were. We, were so, we actually, so yeah, we, we, we brewed at Slapshot for a few months. Then we moved the equipment and we brewed over at Unane for a while. And then we finally got our own space at the end of 15. But it took us, you know, all of a year and four months to get it open. So we didn't finally get open until March of 2017. So there was a weird period of time where we weren't producing beer and we were bleeding money daily. Um, but once the doors opened in March, it was lying around the block and we, we couldn't keep up with making beer here. So it's just been an evolution of growing and adding on. And, you know, we started with 4,000 square feet, then we got 8,000 and now we have the full building of 12,000 square feet here in Elk Grove. And, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at opportunities for a second location, hopefully in the next year or two and see where it takes us from there. But it was definitely a, a grassroots bootstrap kind of operation between me and my wife. And you know, we're, we're very lucky to have now celebrated seven years last week. Um, it just, it's mind blowing to think that this little hobby out of the basement has become our life. So what was your goal when you first started like, oh, wow, we should actually open a brewery. Did you want it to be like a little neighborhood kind of tap room or did you really want to be expanding as to where you are now? You know, I think the big reason why we were making the beers we were making was that we were kind of filling a void that wasn't there. So I was lucky enough to have a lot of friends um, who would travel to the West Coast and the East Coast and bring back beers that we weren't seeing here in the Midwest. Um, you know, I think flash forward just a couple of years before that, we finally got Fat Tire. You know, so we were, we were missing out on a lot of beers that were out there in the extreme versions of beer. And so, you know, we had the, the Hattie Toppers and the Treehouse beers coming in and, and we just said there's there's no hazy IPA here, so let's try to make that. Or there's no massive adjuncted um, stouts. So we kind of found that that niche and kind of went at it and and 
like again, filled that void so we could have beers that we want to drink without having to constantly trade or go travel and get it. Was there like one beer that you guys brewed that kind of launched you guys as a, like as a calling card or anything, or was it more the styles that you focused on? Yeah, I think the two beers that really took off for us um, were Imperial or Smells Like Bean Spirit. So that was the original version was called Smells Like Bean Spirit. It was a, um, a, a name had come to me from a friend and he's like, hey, would you be interested in making a beer called Smells Like Bean Spirit? And I was like, I love it, but everybody makes a coffee stout. Let's do something different. And so that's when we came up with the coffee maple. Um, and that was kind of a, you know, that breakfast stout vibe and filling that void there. And it was instantaneous people a love the label love the name and the flavors were just packed in that little beer um now it's you know pretty much moved on to the imperial version and the barrel aged version but uh we'll, we'll bring the original version out every once in a while um and then special sauce which was ours our first stab at a new england style beer um in the midwest i know there's a few other breweries like um transient um and narrow gauge we're working on some as well but you know we kind of all kind of came at the same time and released what we thought was hazy and I remember scratching our head and being like, do we add orange juice? Do we add flour? Like, how the hell do we make these beers? But, you know, it was a lot of trial and error, but first batch came out and I'll never forget having a bunch of friends over to the house. We're all drinking and, you know, you've got, you've got craft beer geeks there. You've also got your, your casual wine drinkers and you've got your, your, your Coors Light drinkers. And next morning I wake up and I look at the, the kill shot of all the bottles out there. And I was, you know, you got half of this, half of that seven bottles of special sauce completely empty and i just knew that that was a beer that kind of you know opened the door for a lot of craft beer drinkers and also people who didn't drink craft beer so it was one of those beers that was like this is this is a ton of flavor it's none of the bitterness that turns people away from ipa um, and just incredibly enjoyable so those two beers really put us on the map you mentioned um there was like a gap or something missing from the beer scene there where you're at as like these big adjuncts or just kind of funky kind of beers. I think I read that you used Cocoa Puffs one time, or do you do like what one, what's one of your funkiest, strangest, like outrageous beers you've made? Yeah, we, we, you know, we played around in that game for a long time and it's not as much as it was before, but um, a lot of it comes from just the, the things we eat, things we consume, the things we experience in traveling. Um, and my daughter was the key to a lot of those beers. So um, I have two kids, um, Lily and Miles, and they are responsible for making a birthday beer every year. And so she's she's on Snap Crackle Pop. She's done um, bubblegum beer. So we use Big League Chew Bubblegum in the beer. Oh, wow. Jolly Ranchers in a beer. Um, we've used, uh, if you're familiar with the Chicagoland area, Portillo's is a, a hot dog um, fast food chain. And they have a thing called, um, it's a, a cake shake. So basically they take their chocolate cake and stuff it into a chocolate milkshake. So we wanted to emulate, we emulated that beer or emulated that cake and is a beer. Um, but the weirdest one we ever did, and it was one of those moments where you're sitting around having a good time with a few beers and you're like, we should turn this into a beer. And someone's like, yeah, I'm in, let's do it. It's called chicken and waffles and beer. And so it's, it's literally fried chicken, waffles, maple syrup, and ghost pepper powder. And it was brewed as a joke and it got amazing feedback right away to the point where people are like, make it again and do a barrel aged version. So, I mean, yes, anything you could put in beer, we've played with it. Um, again, as we've gotten older into this thing now, we're brewing lagers every other day now because that's what we want to drink. Lagers in West Coast have come back for us, um, but we're still open to playing around and having fun with some ingredients. So it's great. I mean, that's kind of part of brewing. You get to be an innovative and creative and like you just said, playing around and having fun. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, I, as a kid growing up, I loved dirt cake as, a, as my birthday cake. So we've done, I do a birthday beer called um, Dirt Nasty. It's the dirt cake inspired. And, you know, we throw gummy worms in the boil to get that gummy worm effect. So it's, you know, there, the, the beauty of beer is that there's how many breweries? Almost 10,000 breweries in the U.S. now. Like if, if there's a style you're really passionate about, you can find it. There's also, if you want to play outside of the box and try something weird and crazy, you're going to find that too. And it's, it, it, it's, don't look down on anybody for making weird styles or making classic styles. Like it's all part of the game that we call craft beer now. And it's, it's fun. So what would you say your brewery's like microphone is known for like beer style wise? When we opened the doors, all we had were um, a wit beer, a, a peach Berliner Weiss, a double dry hop, double IPA. And then that maple stout. 
Um, and those were primarily the, the main paths we rolled down was the, the New England hazy IPAs, the fruited Berliners and the big stouts. Um, now I think, you know, as we're kind of getting, we're in a year seven now, we're kind of known as, you know, big flavors, um, consistency and quality. Um, and if you come here now, you'll see that we have 30 different beers on tap ranging from, I think we have five different lagers from a Italian Pilsner to a traditional American lager to a uh, dark Czech lager, a Schwartz beer. And then you've got your Belgian styles available from a Hefeweizen, a triple and a wit, um, you know, Midwest or mid, I call it Midwest IPA, which is a little bit more of that sweeter IPA. Uh, we've got West Coast IPA, we've got New England IPA, we've got everything you can think of. And then our big specialty now, which we've taken a lot of time and effort into is our barrel age program. You know, we've got about 220 some barrels filled right now, um, aging anywhere from 12 months to 36 months. Um, and we try to release one or two a month. Um, and it's been a lot of fun to play with that. And I've really spent a lot of time in understanding the bourbon world, understanding the differences in barrels um, and letting kind of the barrels do their thing for us and show what they can bring to the table. There's always something to learn. I think that's what's really great about the brewing industry. And I was just talking about that yesterday, actually. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It, 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 you think you know it all, but it, it's, it's, there's so many aspects about a brewery too. Like I'm being the owner, I don't brew beer as much anymore. I'm moving beer now. That's my job is to move beer and then manage my team. But then there's, there's just things you learn about the world that you didn't know existed. So, you know, having conversations with distributors and understanding how they operate from a different angle than we operate. Um, and it's, it's all helpful to understand how this all works together. Well, and you're big, at least I know you are when you were first open, but I imagine you still are. And like, you're big on coll collabs with other breweries. And I think that's a great way to even learn from like how other breweries are doing things and how they can learn from you. Um, yep. Can you talk more about like your collaborations and all that you've done? Yeah, you know, I'll kind of throw it out. I had a mentor, uh, Drew Fox from 18th Street Brewery was kind of my, uh, my guide in the beginning of the, the beer world here for me. Um, and he kind of sprung board his company through collaborations, you know, getting out there, getting the name out there. And, you, you know, collaborations help out you know, two breweries who don't play in other markets, but then expose their brands to these other markets. Um, and then it's not so much about sharing recipes or sharing ingredients. It's about learning from each other's backgrounds and stories. And then also I leave collaborations and be like, all right, I need to buy that hose reel. I need to buy that. I need to buy that. I need to upgrade to this. And so it's just, continuously figuring out ways that we can all get better together. Um, you know, during the pandemic, when that hit, we weren't allowed to go on the road and be with each other. You know, we built a family of breweries that collaborate all across the world together. We go to festivals every weekend together. Um, so it's, you know, it's that Sunday after the fest wraps up and we're like, Hey, see you soon. And you're like, well, I'll see you Thursday actually. And that was all wiped away from us once the pandemic hit. So I created a special Facebook group where we could all kind of continuously chat bounce ideas and figure out ways to navigate through the pandemic um, and just just to say hi you know just because you feel like you lost part of your family because you couldn't see them anymore so it's a tight tight network out there um, it's amazing how I could probably throw a dart at a map and be like yeah I know a brewery there I could probably call them up tomorrow and go make a beer with them and it's it's awesome that we have that network out there so you were in the marketing business kind of before brewing correct with like music and yep. musical artists yep Did did you kind of find that same camaraderie within that? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, again, it's all of us have a art and a, it's a career and you want to figure out ways to continuously grow and advance and develop what you're doing. Um, and so people have different styles and you want to play together and figure out how to make something cool that and unique. That's not just what you're doing every day. Um, and I think music was the same way. You see collaborations all the time and, what you're seeing more and more over the last 10 years is collaborations from artists outside of different genres. Um, so you have these kind of blendings of things coming together. Um, and I think that's, it plays a lot. And, you know, we're doing a lot of that with, you know, international breweries where they might not ever make a style that we make here. We go over there and we're like, Hey, let's, let's give this a shot and see how it takes off in this market. And it's been a lot of fun to kind of explore that. I was just going to say, so where did your, where did the music side of you come from? Where did the love of music come from? Were you a, an artist yourself and in bands and stuff, or is it just a passion for as a listener? Or? I will uh, give all the credit to my parents. I mean, at, as long as I can remember, music was either blasting in the house or blasting in the car or whatever. And my parents had two different styles. My dad was stuck in the 70s 
mom was the progressive trying to figure out the new hit band. So my dad would be rocking, you know, meatloaf and kiss and all that stuff. My mom's listening to NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. So I had this kind of different cast of music um, throughout my life. And I love just listening to music and music is my heartbeat. Um, and so I just kind of was always part of my life. And I figured out a way to get involved with it through singing in choir when I was in seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, and then I later learned that I didn't have the skills to play a guitar or play drums. Like it just wasn't my thing. But I figured out a way that I could be helpful to people who could do that, who didn't understand the business side of things and marketing side of things. And so that's where kind of, you know, I kind of cut my teeth in the, uh, the street game where I was you know, helping artists promote their products through passing out flyers and CDs back in the day. Then it became, you know, the digital world of how to navigate through that. Um, and then I finished my music career working for School of Rock and seeing these young kids learning music in this awesome group setting and getting the opportunity to play on these massive stages that would normally be reserved for, you know, the professionals. Um, and just seeing how music provided this platform for them to not only learn how to play music with other people, but then also have the confidence to go on stage at Lollapalooza or two months later after the summer ends, go in class in front of 12 people or 15 people or 50 people and do their speech like it's nothing. Um, and it's, it was really cool and rewarding to see that. Uh, my biggest passion in music was always trying to discover a band. Um, my, the reason why I moved from Wisconsin to Chicago was to be a stepping stone for me then to get out to LA to go work at Capitol Records. My dream was to do A&R for Capitol Records and help discover that next band. Um, you know, one thing led to another, we're, we're still here in Illinois, but uh, there was a lot of that in my life where I got to help see some young artists kind of get to that next level. And it's, it's rewarding. It's really cool to see that. So where did you land and you're in the middle of your parents and your style? Do you have like a certain style that you really like to enjoy listening to or? I think music is so situational for me. There's just a, depending on like what mood I'm in, like I, I'll listen to everything from country to um, EDM to alternative, you know, pop music, whatever. I, I'm into all of it. I really am. And I, I think there's a appreciation for music. You need to understand all styles especially nowadays because there's a lot of influence from all different styles in the music that's created. Um, so nothing really, you know, it's just, it's my mood. And the funniest thing is that we, my wife got me a record player a few months ago. And so we finally busted that thing out and I've got all the totes from my grandparents and my parents. And so we just started pulling things out and it was just like, here's Elton John or here's this Christmas album or here's this and that. And it's just, it's awesome to go back and listen to what they were listening to um, but in a crisper format. <laughs> I like right. that, yeah. I mean, I suppose it's the same as beer. Like it's you, it's a situational thing is what kind of beer you like at what time and what style it is, it, depending on what's going on in the world or your life or anything like that. Completely, completely, yeah. And the, the cool thing about music, and I may, beer will probably get, it's getting there for me, but music will put me in a moment in time when I hear this song come on the radio or hear it and be like, oh, I remember exactly where I was at that moment with that song. Um, Beer is kind of getting there because now I've got several years under my belt of drinking beers. I remember the first time I had this beer. I remember who gave me that beer. I remember something that it reminds me of. Um, like I, going back to Fat Tire, like when Fat Tire came to Illinois, I remember all of us going to this bar and, and drinking for six hours straight Fat Tire and being like, this is the greatest thing ever. You know, we, we, we finally got it. Now we get up, we understand why it's so hip and so cool. Um, or, you know, having that first beer at Hill Farms that are, are sitting down at, at Cantillon and, and drinking and the guy next to us turns out to be an American from Virginia and just like building those stories. Like that's now becoming part of my, my story and, and beers are kind of putting me in those positions again. Yeah, there's always stories behind the beer and your favorite time when you're hanging out drinking beer, there's the stories behind that that make it, like that make it your favorite times. 100%, yep. music. yeah. So how much do you guys meld music and beer together at microphone? Like. Like, what are all the different things that you do to blend the two? Yeah, so um, obviously our slogan is craft beer inspired by music. Um, all of our beer names are references to either a musical word or term, um, either an artist, a song, a band. Um, it's gotten us in trouble a little bit, but not terribly. Um, <laughs> we, had, we have had a pl uh, pleasant conversations with some people who would be like, yeah, just don't do that again. Other ones are like, this is awesome. Can you send us beer? What can we do to help out and promote it? 
we've had other artists reach out to us and be like, hey, we want to do something together. Can we do something? So we're, we're all about it however we can. Um, you know, I call it the soundtrack to our lives here. It's uh, our, my entire staff has um, the ability to influence what we do here. So, you know, we've got our head brewers will create a recipe every once in a while. Um, microphone is about a 50-50 split between male and female. And every year for International Women's Day, the women of Microphone come together and create a beer. Um, so they, they're on their third beer now. Um, and so they, you know, they, they pick what song they want to go and reference who they are as a, as a group. Um, but if you walk in the doors of Microphone, you'll be blasted in the face of music references. It's, you know, our behind the bar, the initial eight tap handles come out of an orange amp. There's amps all around that. There's guitars on the wall that are signed from when I used to work in the industry. There's signed posters. Um, then as you go in the next room, it's kind of like that backstage vibe where you've got the kind of like morning couches, you've got records all over the wall. We have the big marquee up. Um, so it's just music all the time. And, you know, when we can have live music here, we do. Um, it's just, just part of what we do. And we try, to, we try to find ways that we can incorporate, you know, we've had School of Rock perform during our festivals every year and get those kids some exposure. Um, and we try to, try to give back to the artists as best as we can over here. So music and the marketing of music has changed a lot over the years and how you get it out. Have you seen, like, how do you see beer kind of changing over the years and where do you see like the future of beer heading, maybe even with music? Yeah, you know, we were talking about this at a, a panel. Um, social media has made beer harder now. And so when I first got this thing going 10 years ago, leveraging Instagram and Facebook was super easy. Um, now they've put up a lot of restrictions as to who can see what you're doing. They also have a lot of, you know, pay to play type stuff. Um, and it's been really hard to cast our posts and our information to the audience that we used to. You know, we used to hit 10, 20,000 people a day. Now we're hitting 200, 500. Um, so we're trying to figure out, okay, that's not our primary form of marketing for our beer. How else are we doing it? So, you know, going back to the, the grassroots stuff of doing an email blast every week, um, sending out flyers to the people in the neighborhood, and then partnering with the right players in the game that can bring us to new audiences. So down the street from us, there's Allstate Arena. We've been talking to them about how do we kind of incorporate and do cool events with the teams that you guys have there or run the events that you're doing there. Um, you know, partnering with restaurants, partnering with um, different festivals that are not just beer festivals and just trying to figure out a way that we can cross brand and cross promote in order to get the beer out there. Um, and then, you know, consumers are great at, at, at telling other consumers what they should be drinking. And so, you know, we're, we're very lucky that we've got an awesome fan base that will, you know, encourage and tell people to try our beer or they'll, they'll, they'll trade beer or ship beer across the world for us. Um, and that's, that's really put us on the map, I think. I mean, I remember the, the first week we opened, we released beer on a Thursday and I saw people in California on Friday drinking it. So it was like overnighted, which is wild to me. It was like, whoa, like you guys are my distribution channel. This is awesome. <laughs> It so keeps you warm and fuzzy feeling in your heart, huh? Like, oh, yeah. it's here. The thing, though, I think that's going to be the biggest adjustment is obviously we all know right now that we're, we're facing a lot of logistical issues and a lot of um, spikes in everything from cans to can shortage to grains going way up in price. Um, and so we're really going to have to battle that. I think we're going to tighten up and, and stick local for a little bit more. I think local is going to be what wins out for a while um being smart about how you cast your beer out there it's not worth you know making a bunch of beer and sending it to a flooded market especially if you have to put it on a truck it's going to cost a lot more to ship it so i think a lot of those things are going to factor into how these next two years play out um and unfortunately i think it's margins are getting squeezed so tight right now that i think a lot of people are going to have to make those tough decisions as to is it worth being open or is it worth having four or five locations open um so i mean it's been, a, it's been interesting to see our margins kind of go in a, in a tighter angle because of that. And you're hearing that wheat is going way up. And you know, it was one thing because of the pandemic. Now we've got the war that we're you know, battling with a lot of that stuff coming through. And it just seems like a never ending battle right now. Um, but you know, we're continuously figuring out ways to get smarter about how we produce beer. Um, in, you know, with in mind, quality is always number one. But figuring out ways that we can make sure that we're not hemorrhaging but also supplying so that's gonna be the biggest battle i think over the next year and a half here 
Malt Europe, I think, is trying to do their best to make sure that their malts are like highly efficient. Now humans too, like people in the brewing and brewing industry have to make sure that they're also highly efficient. So like kind of on that note, how has, how has it been with Malt Europe and like maybe other different people that you've worked with throughout the community? How are they showing support to you? Yeah, you know, it's funny. We, um, I'm very close with Nicole from Malt Europe through a different previous world. Um, and she kept, you know, she's like, wasn't hounding me ever, but she's like, you ever want to switch over? Let me know. And it was kind of, it was kind of a hurdle on our end because we didn't have a mill. More and more conversation went around and we got a new mash tonight. And I'm like, you know what, let me get a mill in here and see what happens. And since we have, and we switched over to Malt Europe, it's, <laughs> we went from like 70% efficiency to 90% efficiency. So though, again, those are the things that we have to think about, you know, we spent $12,000 on a mill, but it's probably already paid itself off within the first six months because we're saving bags every batch. Um, and so it's those little things that we're trying to get smarter being now in year seven of like, how can we think about things on a, on a global scale for us here to do that? And, and Malt Europe has been incredible for us. It really has. And I will say this, some providers of grain will provide you with candy bars. Malt Europe sends you Usinger sausage. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am from Milwaukee and I miss my Usinger sausage. So it's pretty sweet to get pretty sweet to get two uh, using your summer sticks on your pile of grain. <laughs> now, we now know what really cemented the deal. You got it. Yep, exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> so I will say, okay, so you've been experienced with some of their newer malts too, right? Like Malt Europe hasn't stood by and just supplied base malts and stuff. They're developing some new malts like Crystal Wheat 3 and a new uh, Munich malt, Munich 5. Yep. What, what can you tell us about some of the different malts you've used from them? On the, on yeah, you know, it's, we primarily switched over our base to them. So we, we, we didn't want to rock the boat too hard with making a big adjustment from one provider to a new provider. So let's start with the base. We started with the two row, the pills, the pale, the wheat. Um, and then we started using Munich recently, which has been awesome. Um, we've switched over from our Carafoam to their Dextrin, which has been a big pickup there too. Um, the one, so we just did a, a three-way collab with Malt Europe, Udapils up in Minnesota, and then us, and we used uh, Malt Europe's French malt, which is yeah, super cool. fun. So as we're getting deeper into this Pilsner and Lager game, we're doing an Italian Pilsner right now that we get um, specially modified Italian uh, malt. So this was another kind of concept, all right, let's make a French lager using French malt, French hops, um, and it's really cool. And so I'm, I'm continuously looking at ways to start playing more and more with Malt Europe's um, unique opportunities there and taking that from ground zero and building a beer around it. Because um, I think there's a lot of value in exposing consumers to stuff they've never played with before. And even as a brewer, to understand like what makes it different. Um, you know, there's so many different malts out there and you can get stuck in using the same ones to to provide efficiency, but if you really want to pinpoint what that style is, you have to use the appropriate grain for it. Um, and that's been something that we've tried to stick to as best we can. And so, you know, our Italian pills uses the Vireman Ericlea yeast or uh, grain, and it's it's really fun. There's a floor malted Bohemian Pilsner we use for our Bohemian Pilsner. Um, now this from Malt Europe has a new door for us to open up and play more with the French lager grain. I want to get a little geeky for a second because you mentioned the dextrin malt and that's one I've been really interested in. Like, what have you noticed? What were the big benefits that you noticed from dextrin? Their dextrin. Compared to others, like it's, it, it seems again, the efficiency is there. Um, it's got a little bit of that, you know, that stickiness that we're looking for as well. Um, so, you know, we're using that to get body, right? And so it's got that heftiness to it that we're looking to kind of fill in the void of where the beers might go a little bit thin. Um, and it's been, it's been great and efficient. I haven't, fully got Nicole's trying to convince me to make a stout with pure dextrin I'm like it's gonna take a lot out of me to do that but I think we're gonna give it a shot so you know it's it, again it, I, they're the experts they know what their grain's all about um, they've been doing this for for many many years um, and you know I know their background a lot of their stuff comes in, in the distillery world so it's kind of cool to see how some of that can translate over into the beer world and then um, you know play with it so Again, anything that we can learn from them and then also help us increase our efficiency and make a better batch is what we're all about. Well, that's what we were talking about earlier is like you're, there's always something to learn 
anywhere, whether it's brewing or any kind of business, there's always something to continually be learning from. And but, you see, you see constantly there's, you know, new hot varietals being provided. Um, so we're trying to have our, you know, our understanding of what those mean and how we can use those. And, and we're lucky that we're, you know, here in the Midwest, we've got a lot of people coming from Yakima Valley and coming over here and having us play with new hops and this and that. Um, and it's, there's just a whole new world from just hot pellets too. We're all used to using either, you know, hot cones or hot leaf or hot pellets. And now there's this game of incognito and salval oils and, and stuff that can just, A, add instant flavor, but also increase efficiency because you're not losing all that liquid to all the true that's built up from, you know, the hot pellets. Um, and so again, those are the things that we have to think about of how can that translate into the long run for us of helping us be more efficient. Um, and it's, it's incredible how they're modifying these things down. And then on top of that, you know, we're lucky here where we have Omega yeast labs in our backyard there, they've developed a yeast that will unlock files that, you know, create new flavors that we didn't know existed without using real fruit. And so it's been fun to kind of figure out all these, everybody keeps advancing and trying to play with what they have um, to continuously make different and better beer. Well, can you imagine what we'd be drinking if we didn't? I mean, think about beer you know, from thousands of years ago. <laughs> Which I'll say Hacker Shore was the beer that kind of pushed me into the craft beer world because I was, you know, living up in Wisconsin, Madison, drinking a bunch of Natty Ice and uh, stuff that my dad could get me from Miller. So I didn't get exposed to a ton of craft beer at that point, but I'll never forget being at a party and having a Hacker Shore and be like, what is this? Just all this crazy clove and like bonfire flavor. I'm like, this is so awesome. And so that was like, whoa, beer can have flavor. And yeah. that's, that was our motto for a long time is just flavor, 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 flavor. Okay, speaking of flavor, just get a little bit, I don't know, get to know you a little bit behind or outside of the beer world, I guess, Mike. Like who are you outside of your brewery? I am a glorified Uber driver for my kids is what <laughs> I am. <laughs> it's literally my morning is get up. Um, my wife takes him in the morning. So I'll get the kids, you know, dressed, get their lunches packed, get them ready to go while my wife, wife works out. And then when she's done working out, she drives them to school and then I hop out and work out and go to work. And then it's like, who's picking up? Who's taking them to soccer? Who's taking them to piano? Who's taking them there? It's like, it's nonstop, but it's fun. It's cool to see, uh, them grow every day it's really awesome and you know like there's been times where I hit a wall and I'm like who am I now what am I doing you know like what else should I be doing and then I, I stop and I go oh wait I've got two kids who make me move through life every day um and so yeah that's kind of been my big focus right now is kids and family and and then still continuously trying to make sense of this beer world and, and travel and explore and see everybody who's out there and, and you know we're we're on our way to go, go to Copenhagen in May again. We're going to go out to Sweden in August to brew and do a fest out there. And then over the next few months, I've got a ping ponging schedule where I'm West Coast and East Coast and back and forth, you know, collabing, picking barrels, um, doing fests. Um, so that takes a lot of my time. But then it's trying to figure out how to then squeeze the real world of managing a brewery in there as well, which is very important, which we, I found that when I was on the road too much, I lost a lot of connectivity to my staff. Um, so being around more has been great for everybody around. It's, you know, it's those little things in the day to day where maybe something breaks or something, you just want to bounce an idea. It's not a, having to wait for a phone call you picked up or this and that, it's just, you can talk in real life. And so I try to make a focus to be here as much as I can when it makes sense. And then try to squeeze in those little trips now, not those five day trips. It's, it's a, it's a quick two day or three day trip as fast as I can. Um, to kind of still promote the brand through collaborations and through fests. Um, but yeah, my schedule is jam-packed. Try to, try to do, you know, as much as I can to balance in family work and friends, but it is a nonstop party. <laughs> oh, I mean, you know, our listeners don't get to see you on the video, but we do, but you don't look miserable. So. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have a lot more gray hair than I did when I first started this intro. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if that's the kids or the business or a combination, but it's uh, definitely come in over the last few years here. <laughs> kids are definitely a big part of it. We have two kids that are now adult age. So, yeah. And, they, and they're still adding to these gray hairs every now. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I can only imagine. I got several years ahead of me before we get there, but we'll enjoy the ride as it, it comes along. All right. So we got a fun one to end this out. If you were a beer, what would you be? By that, I mean, what beer best describes you as a person? Ooh, that is a crazy awesome question. Um, if I could be a beer, I wouldn't be Spotted Cow. And I, I say that because what New Glarus has done with Spotted Cow is just, <laughs> it's an anomaly. I mean, to have a beer that has taken over the state of Wisconsin and is truly Wisconsin right. over all the other beers that were Wisconsin before it is, is amazing. Um, it's an enjoyable beer. It's a lighter beer that you can have a bunch of. When I cross over the border and go home, it's like, you're going out for a fish fry. Fish fry and a spotted cow and a randy old-fashioned. Like, it's just natural. That's just how it is. So, to me, I am, I as, as much as I didn't think it, over the years I learned I am a diehard Wisconsinite. And I love everything about Wisconsin. I think spotted cow represents Wisconsin as to its heritage, as to its love of beer. Um, and it, you can't go anywhere now throughout the entire state of Wisconsin without finding a spotted cow. And so that's awesome. So does that mean you're going to take over the state because Spotted Cow took over the state and that you're like, you know, very easily to get along with and we can just like hang on and talk to you all the time. Just like that's fine. Yeah. Just those, <laughs> that beer you can drink all the time. I guess I didn't even think about it that way, but that is kind of a way to describe it. I am, I am always available. I love to talk. I love to share our story because I think, you know, every, every, everybody has a story. Every brewery has a story. And it's fun to share it and share how you came about and how we're continuing to move through it. But yeah, I, I am, I, it's funny. I tell this story and people don't get it. I'm like, I am a total introvert. I have severe social anxiety, but the brewing industry forced me to throw all that in the garbage and just <laughs> not, not be a part of it. So um, it's made me be super social and maybe be out there and, and put all that stuff aside and, and have fun and, expose myself and throw myself out there and, and, and be vulnerable to it all. But it's open doors that I never would have thought it. When I, when I went to college, I thought I was going to be either a lawyer or, you know, work in the music industry. And I thought that would have taken me on a journey, but beer has put me in places that I can never even imagine would have done. And so to, to be able to have brewed in Costa Rica or, um, down in Brazil and, and over in Copenhagen and Sweden. It's like, it's, it's incredible to have that. And then, like I said, to have the network that we have here in the United States at our fingertips every minute of the day is, is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Okay. So, th so I thought we were done, but wait a second, you brewed in all those places? Yeah. Through a microphone, through your brewery and you just wanted yeah. to collab? The microphone. Yep. Yeah. So uh, again, it's like beer has become a universal language. So there's a brewery uh, dogma in Brazil and, reached out and said, Hey, I've had your beer, love your beer. Would you be interested in coming down and making some beer for our festival? It's like, yeah, for sure. So yeah, we flew down and I went down with a different brewery, um, three sons brewing out of Florida. Him and I went down together and got picked up and got the entire experience. And it was quite an experience to see that culture, but also like what he was doing in introducing his people to craft beer through a lot of American beer. Um, and trying to emulate what he could with his ingredients at his disposal. But it was, I remember that was the same with Costa Rica. There was not much to use in Costa Rica in the way that he had to get grain, was he had to be a distributor of grain. And it was such a unique experience of what we could brew, what we couldn't brew. I had to ship in Eldorado hops, I had to ship in oats, like through a port and get picked up and brought in. And literally they, they arrived the day before the collabs so were like, all right, good. Um, but yeah, just it's, it's, it's definitely become a universal language. And I think you know, when we go out to Copenhagen for the Mickler Beer Festival, um, you see all different countries there. And everyone is just there to celebrate beer, share beer, and, and build your network. And when you leave that place, you're like, hey, send beer to Japan. Come out to Greece and brew with us. And this and that. And you're just like, it's, it's so cool. And my wife didn't get it until a few years ago when she went to some of these festivals with me. And she's like, now I get it. Now I understand it. So it's, it's a very special group that craft beer has, has blossomed into. And we're very lucky to be part of it and very lucky to be making beer every day and drinking beer every day and, and sharing that love with everybody. Yep. Well, I would say cheers to, uh, oh, I, have, do you have I, actually, I actually have a bonus question. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cause I, I would be like, it would just be wrong if I didn't, 
you being in the Chicago area, I have to ask, yay or nay, Malort? Oh, uh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, he just went off camera. <laughs> got a bottle. He's got a bottle. Half, of half so of we, <laughs> I don't know how it's become, but I've become like the Malort ambassador for a little bit there. But we actually have, we have beer here at the brewery, aging in Malort barrels. No. Um, I said, why would you ruin a beer like that? It works. We did a Pilsner the first, like two years ago, and it was like, this is awesome. So now we've got a milkshake IPA, um, Imperial Stout, a um, Solera Sour, and another Pilsner in there. And it's, it's awesome flavors. Yeah, but like, we usually do a fest every year called Smells Like a Beer Fest. We release a barrel-aged bean spirit. Um, and when all the guest breweries came, as they walked in the, the door, they got a high life and a little bottle of Malort and said, welcome to Chicago. <laughs> and that was just it. And, you know, yeah, Malort's, you know, Ed Jepson's down there now and we, we go down there all the time and they've got an outstanding bourbon, by the way. Jep, like, don't just think of Jepson's as Jepson's Malort. Jepson's bourbon is fantastic. It's a lot of it's sourced from MGP and it's, it's really good stuff, but um, yeah, we're all about it. It's, it's one of those things that when collabs come in, it's, there's definitely a bottle somewhere in this brewery and we're doing a shot of Malort to celebrate it. <laughs> I feel like maybe I might have to do it one more time to give it another shot. Cause I've never had Malort with a Miller high life. Yeah. It, it's, it's a great combination. I, I, I don't think anybody really, really loves it. You know, there's some people who've tolerated it more than others. Uh, it's just one of those things that kind of has become a cult classic and it's it's hilarious but yeah it's it's always here <laughs> awesome okay yeah. cheers to beers music and malort <laughs> bringing the world together <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah there you go awesome <laughs> okay here's the deal that was a cool conversation but what was really cool is at first when you mentioned the malort thing i was like <laughs> rolling my eyes and trying to be quiet because I was like, really? That's so off topic. But then his answer and when he actually like reached behind, like I told you guys, I explained it to you when he actually like reached down and pulled up the bottle of Malort. I was just like, all right, Kenny, nice job. <laughs> Wait, high five <laughs> for asking that because it was quite oh, funny. I, how could so, I not? I mean, Chicago area, that's a thing. Malort is a thing. And if you haven't experienced the Malort thing, you probably don't need to, but... <laughs> so you need to tell... Um, we need to tell everybody, you guys ready for this, our experience with our the experience? Lord. Okay. Yeah. So tell them. So long story short... No, Kenny doesn't know how to do that, but go ahead. Long story kind of medium. <laughs> we had some friends who... We were traveling up in Maine, and some friends, online friends, said, oh, you should go see so-and-so. You're staying at the same place that they are. And you guys would really hit it off. And so we did go over, introduce ourselves and talk to these guys. Ended up sitting around the campfire drinking and stuff. And so these guys happened to be from the Chicago area. And so they're like, have you ever tried Malort? And we're like, no, what's Malort? And they're like, oh, it's it's this Chicago like iconic thing you have to do. It's, I don't even know if they brought up the name or even asked us. I think they were really just maybe, like, do we yeah. have this like cool drink that's only known in Chicago or the it's Midwest a Chicago area? Thing, so yeah. I don't even think they said the name of it. So they got the bottle out. I think we just poured a couple little shots or mm -hmm. something, and they're like, you got to try this, got to sip it. Holy crap, we tried this stuff, and it about made me gag. It is disgusting. It is horrible. Oh. <laughs> And but all... it's a thing. It's a Chicago thing you have to do. So they washed our faces and then they just started cracking up because that's the whole goal of it is to feed your friends or to give your friends this thing to imbibe up on. So then the people who gave it to you get to laugh at you. Yeah, pretty much. Not funny. Funny. Not funny. Yeah. It's like, um, hmm, I don't even know how to describe the flavor. I don't even, it was so bad. It was just bad. I don't even think there was a good way to describe it. Like Jaeger, I can say Jaeger is licorice, right? Yeah. It tastes like licorice or like, to me, Jaeger tastes like that green NyQuil cough syrup crap. That's the kind of gross licorice but taste Jaeger has for me. A lot of people like Jaeger, so I would Well, assume... sorry, people who like Jaeger, but not sorry. I would assume, like <laughs> Mike was saying, that some people seem to like Malort too. I'm sure a lot of people do. And and probably if you do it a specific way, like instead of just straight up, like Jaeger's fine if you put it in hot chocolate or maybe even if you make a Jaeger bomb or something. Do you know something, how many people like, are 
cringing right now when you said <laughs> Jaeger's fine when you put it in a hot chocolate because most people don't know that. But yes, it's good. So yeah, Jaeger and hot chocolate. Yeah, I could I could just watch our listeners just like make a face and just like crunch their what? There are a lot of weird spirits out there that are terrible if you drink them straight up. But if you put them in a specific kind of drink, a cocktail or whatever, they come out really well. So but people, that's fine. But people also love making you drink the terrible spirits without telling you that it's terrible. Remember, another friend of ours brought us back something when he went to China. Oh, geez. Yeah. And he, <laughs> we told him that we tried it and it was disgusting. Thank you for thinking of us because we were honored. However, we tried it and it was disgusting. And again, he started laughing because we actually tasted it. Yeah, he's what like, you, you actually drank that? <laughs> what would you expect us to do with the drink that you give us? Yeah, funny, not funny. Yeah, he didn't warn us that he got us that not intending for us to imbibe. He got it for us to put on the shelf, I guess, and show, look, we have this from China. But this is another reason. Like jet fuel. Yeah, but this is another reason why you all should just drink beer. But then again, you're always going to have people who are like, sours, for example. Oh my God, this is not beer. And you make faces. Or if. You have some kind of weird, crazy spirit that you make a cool drink out of that tastes like crap by itself, but you put it into a good drink, you should shoot us an email with the recipe. Okay. Ken and April at livingastoutlife.com. Because I want to know. I want to know all the weird, crazy crap that's out there. So one, I can avoid drinking it straight up. Please tell me that. And two, so I can figure out how to make it palatable when somebody presents it. And especially somebody whom maybe I don't know if they're screwing with me or not. So I'm like, maybe try to bridge that gap and not offend them highly. I don't know. But I'm, fuck it. I don't care. You know what I'm going to (laughs) do? You know what I'm going to do? What are you going to do? I'm just going to keep drinking beer. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm I'm just going to drink beer. Beer is trustworthy. Even when you add a lot of adjuncts to it. Is trustworthy. Even when you barrel aged it, it's trustworthy. Even when this it's a true. sour, even though I'm not a sour fan, it's still trustworthy. Yes. Actually, speaking of trustworthy, do you remember like a long time ago? Uh-oh. Not really a long time ago, but a few weeks ago. I can never say this word. This can't when be When we were talking well. about the Ryan Heisken boot, bot, boot loss. About, <laughs> <laughs> say it right for me, please. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the Ryan Heisken boot. Okay, Ryan Heisken boot. <laughs> I think so. (laughs) We promised you guys we would check up on something, and we did our best to try and remember what the hell we were talking about, but I'm pretty sure it was when we were talking about big beers and how you create, like, icebox and thing. So the Rhein Heisken boot? The Rhiney Heine Law. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Okay. The Rhiney Heine Law? Yes. That'll be easier to remember. was a German purity law that said traditionally that you could only use three ingredients in beer it was before yeast was really known what it did so those first three ingredients were um like you know barley like grains what is it barley or grains what would they say okay we're just gonna go with grains i'm i think it was barley because i think part of the initial law had something to do with bakers and like the the grains they used and like some kind of weird pricing war thing between brewers. I don't know. Barley green, something along those lines. That could be BS that's been passed down too. I don't know. And then hops and water. But then they realized that yeast had a huge play in that. So yeast became that. So it was four. And then actually the Reine Heine law didn't get its full on name until like the early (laughs) 1900s, even though... Yeah, it didn't officially become Reine Heine until the early 1900s. Until the early 1900s, which... The law itself was placed into effect like years before that. It just didn't have like that full on right. name. However, then what we were looking at and what we were curious about is, is there something that dictates within that law, the German purity law, as to how you actually should make the beer and not just the ingredients? Because icebox are made very differently than... Um, just a just traditional, traditional beer. lager or ale. But, so when I was researching this and trying to figure out like the way you make it was, you know, air quotes against the law versus like, I know it's has most things to do with like the ingredients of the beer, mm-hmm. but trying to research that I came across that when, oh, I'm going to get this mixed up. So just don't quote me on this. Depending on if you're doing like a lager or if you're doing an ale, that there yeah. are different 
types of like I think they said like malted or roasted barleys and things that you could also put in it. Yeah. No, it doesn't have to be just a strict form of it. And I think that's stuff that came later. Yeah, it did. This is stuff as it evolved because like you said initially they didn't really know yeast and what yeah. it did and so stuff. that came later. Right. And so initially when they when they kind of refined the law later it from what I understand it applied primarily to lagers which yes. are bottom fermenting right. beers which we don't need to go into a whole thing about that. But then they started applying it to ales too which are top fermenting which is what you're talking yes. about where you can use a little bit more grains it's a little more liberal because it's a different type of beer than lager, which lager is kind of the traditional German style. So they were more specific about lagers. And then ales, they did allow even, I believe they even allowed you could put sugar in ales. Yeah, I saw which, some, yes. Which I read they would like, no, 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 no on lagers for yes. sure. However, it still says no, you may not put in gummy worms, nor <laughs> may you put in big chew gum. Like, Does it actually say that in the law? Well, it doesn't it like say, says, like, do not put in gummy worms, do not put in big league chew. It does. It does not, it but it in, come on. It says it in German, of course, but <laughs> no big league chew. But thank I, that's goodness. That's probably a totally wrong accent, too. goodness, like, all these German purity laws don't completely transfer over here into the United States because, like, Mike's, Mike's you know, highly adjuncted beers would not have gone over well, and... Because he doesn't pay attention to German purity laws, like most people in the United States do not either, most of the beers that we have grown to love, we wouldn't be having. True. So, anyhow, long story where I was going with this, I was talking about Kenny not being able to tell a short story. She's <laughs> Where I was trying to go with this is I still couldn't really find anything that dictates exactly how you're supposed to brew it. So I'm assuming like an Eisbach where you... Can you describe Eisbach very quickly? Eisbach really quickly is you make a beer, you ferment it, then you freeze it, and water freezes at a higher temperature than alcohol. So the water freezes before alcohol does, and then they scrape off that some of that ice, let it kind of come back into liquid form, and then they keep fermenting. And then they freeze it again, scrape more ice off. Which... And so what they're doing is removing water... Keeping the alcohol, keeping the alcohol content as close as possible to what it what it was fermented at, and then getting rid of some of the water because well, it separates from the alcohol, and then they get rid of the water, and that makes it a stronger beer. Which is very similar to distilling, correct? Yeah, it's it's a form of distilling. It's actually ice distillation. So but, that's go ahead. So that's where that question was coming from. Mm -hmm. Did does that have? Is there like laws in the German purity law? I don't know because you're still making the beer the same way though. You're still fermenting it and so, making yeah. a beer. Right. So when researching that, I couldn't find anything that said you couldn't do that. Right. So I'm going to say off of what we did a little bit of research, we did not really delve highly deep into this. We are not um, Reiny Heine scholars. No. Um, <laughs> so we're going to say that does not have an impact on that. As far as we know. If anybody out there is a Reiny Heine scholar... <laughs> Please let us know. Yeah, if we're yeah. wrong or if you got a little more to add to that. <laughs> so <laughs> we want to know more about the Reiny Heine. Yes, I like that name now. I can say that. <laughs> All right. Anyhow, off of that topic, but really quickly back since this podcast was kind of a highlighting uh, microphone brewing for American Craft Beer Week, I did want to say that we did talk off microphone <laughs> um, to Mike about what he's getting ready to be um, celebrating and brewing for. American Craft Beer Week is they're actually excited to start highlighting their barrel program and to highlight what their beers can do in a barrel and highlight just the different barrels without kind of adding anything else to it. So giving it that um, naked, the na nakedity of barrels. Barrels the without nakedity. anything else. I don't know. Barrels without anything Nude else. Nude barrels, naked barrels. Yeah. So that's, there's going to be a lot of new releases <laughs> For their barrel-aged beers and during American Craft Beer Week. So, so that, I think that's going to be cool. may or may not have clothes on. We don't know. We didn't <laughs> ask him. But his barrels will be naked. Yes. Okay. So on that, <laughs> are we good? I think we're good. So if you're in the area of Elk Grove, which is near Chicago, yeah. check out Microphone. And in the meantime, subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends, 
buy us a beer. Most definitely tell your friends about it. And if you feel so inclined, buy us a beer on our podcast page on the website because it does help keep the show going. And a shout out again to Malt Europe and Midwest Craft Sales Manager for Malt Europe, Nicole Hensel, for helping us put this together and getting us to meet up with Mike. I loved it. It was a good conversation. Yeah. So, well, Cheers. To Cheers to Malt Europe. Cheers to American Craft Beer Week. Cheers to Microphone. Cheers to Microphone. Cheers to Mike. Yeah, cheers to everything. You know what, and though? Cheers especially, to the Riney Heine. Cheers to the Riney Heine. especially entertains us so much. Cheers to beer, because I love <laughs> beer. But you know what? Cheers to that shit that makes you cringe, but also makes you, like, laugh. Like, my lord. Oh, my lord. Okay. My lord. Cheers to all the, all the above. Peace out. We'd love to hear from you, so keep the conversation going. Send us a note, share a beer recommendation or two, or just say hey. This Stout Conversation has been brought to you by livingastoutlife.com, where you can find community and resources for all your craft beer travel and adventure lifestyle needs.